Welcome to Women Working Ahead, the show where working women provide honest insights into their different industries by sharing all the ups, downs, and messy bits in between of their daily lives. I'm your host, Sierra Mercer. Welcome back, everyone, to Women Working Ahead. I'm joined here by Michaela. And for some context, guys, this is, I think, our fourth or fifth time rescheduling this interview. So I hope you guys are appreciative of all the effort that we have put in to make this happen. So welcome, Michaela. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. If you've tuned in to the episode that I did with Mary and Felicia, and I know many of you did because it is, it is one of the most popular episodes um, that I've released so far, um, you would have already heard of Michaela because they did mention her quite a bit. So she is actually their direct supervisor. So before I get into that, do you want to give just a brief introduction uh, as to who you are and what your current role is? So my name is Michaela Morphin, and I am the senior geotechnical engineer for Nevada Gold Mines at their Cortez property. Mm -hmm. And to specify, you are the geotechnical uh, coordinator for the surface stuff. You don't have anything to do with the underground operations at all. Correct. Just for the open pit. Right. And so how big, I think I'm sure Mary and Felicia mentioned this, but how big is the team that you actually supervise? So there is myself, three engineers and one technician. So between all of us, it's a team of five. So, and it sounds like you guys are kind of like this little band of the, the female geotechnical engineers. <laughs> it's true. So myself and the three engineers are all female. Our technician is male and he worked in the survey team for mm-hmm. a number of years and then transferred into our group to extend his knowledge base. But it's amazing because when we went through the interview process, the females were by far the strongest candidates. Mm-hmm. Well, that was going to be my, my next question was how much did you have to do with having women on your team? So Mariah was hired about six months before Mary and Felicia. And again, she, she stood out. She'd actually completed an internship at one of the Nevada gold mines, other properties, and she came highly recommended by their supervisor. So mm-hmm. it, it was an easy, it was an easy transition to get her on board. And then the interview process for Mary and Felicia is, was a little different. So you have to submit your resume and then we send you a bunch of questions that you have to answer via video. And so we went through, my boss and I went through the videos, uh, the resumes, filtered it down to three interviewees to actually bring out to the property. Obviously, Mary and Felicia were two of the three and um we just dwindled it down we had two positions open they happened to go to the same school and be best friends so it was it was a very big coincidence because we did not know that going into the interview process we found it out when they were visiting on site so small world yes it was um and so you yourself how long have you actually been working at the site and or working in your current role I have been at Cortez, it will be nine years in January. And so I started here right out of college. I interned two summers at the Gold Strike property, came here after I graduated, and I've been here ever since. So same site, same supervisor for the last nine years. Wow. And so what is your actual background? Like, where did you go to school? What did you go to school for? 
I went to the University of Nevada, which is in Reno, and I went to school for geological engineering. I actually, in one of my lab classes, met somebody who was from Elko who explained the mining industry to me because in Reno, a majority of what you see is construction based. Okay. And I ended up applying for an internship because a lot of the companies in mining come for the career fairs. And that's how I ended up at Gold Strike for two summers. Okay, so originally, were you thinking that you were going to get into mining, like when you first started in geological engineering, was mining kind of already in your mind? Or did it kind of come along the way? Or did it happen just, you just ended up in mining just kind of by chance, basically? Originally, I think I'd been more uh, leaning towards construction because my mom had worked for a development for a development firm under a civil engineer. And so that's really what piqued my interest as far as engineering. And then, like I said, in school, you learn a little bit about mining. It's mainly based off the people. So the people who've had internships, the people that are from mining towns and honest, I mean, it pays well. So that's a huge benefit. And so I just applied and, and ended up with an internship and I've, I've never left. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, tell me about those internships. How did you find working in those, in those environments and how did you find the internship process? And also, did you find that that was kind of how you got your foot in the door to end up in this current position? Yes, to answer your question, uh, the internships do go a long way as far as getting hired. I know that uh, Legacy Barrick, which is where I was before Legacy and Newmont combined as Nevada Gold Mines, was huge on hiring their interns if they thought they were great candidates. And so the internship process, uh, you come out here, they provide housing for you. And I mean, you're responsible for your food and they also provide the transportation to and from the mine site. And so for the most part, you're working 10 hour days, four days a week. And again, they do pay well compared to my friends that were in journalism and business. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the work experience is just incredible. And it is, it is dependent on your supervisor. Sometimes you get awesome ones. And I've, I've had friends and other interns who file paperwork all summer. So it yep. really is the luck of the draw where you end up and who your supervisor is, but it really opened the door for where I currently am. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like these internships that you did, you weren't filing papers all summer and it really, really gave you that experience that you were like, yes, this is what I want to do as my future career. Yes, it did. And the nice thing about it is, you know, in school you get, here's a one inch by one inch black and white photo of what a fold looks like in the pit. (laughs) It's like, what am I supposed to do with this? And you go into an open pit and it's like 50 feet high and a hundred feet long. And you're like, oh, I get it. It all clicks finally when you can see it out in the field. (laughs) So when you first got hired, like right out of school, I assume that you weren't hired straight in as a supervisor. Were you an entry level? What was that all like? I was hired as an engineer one. So that's, that's an entry level position. And, you know, based off of how many years you've worked in industry um, and then how well you meet certain targets, you would move up to an engineer two, which is kind of the middle ground. And then over the years, I've progressed to a senior engineer level, which is an engineer three. Okay. Okay. So it was a very kind of organic transition where like how many years in was it until you actually got promoted to this kind of supervisor role? 
It, it was about five, a little over five years in. Um, there are a number of things as, as legacy barrack that you had to complete in order to get from a one to a two and a two to a three. Mm-hmm. And the nice part about it again at the time was that my boss went from a senior to a chief. And so that role opened up. And because I had been, been here, the minimum number of years required to be in a supervisor role, it just all kind of, it all flowed really smoothly. And did you find that once you got promoted, was it a fairly, it was a natural transition for you? Or did you end up in a spot when you first got promoted? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do this thing. Or was it kind of, yes, I've got this. We're good to go. Uh, it was a little bit of both to be completely honest <laughs> with you. So the the field level work was, was an easy transition. Um, a lot of the computer work, again, was an easy transition, but it's also because I still had my supervisor here at site. And at the time, um, we had two engineer twos, and that was it. We were still trying to backfill positions. So I got promoted, but didn't really have anybody working underneath me. And he left, and then we hired Mariah. Six months later, Mary and Felicia came. So it was like in an eight-month period, I went from having nobody work for me to three people work for me and it was like congratulations have fun a couple months later my boss left and I was like what am I supposed to do (laughs) oh my gosh how did you figure all that out sounds like it was a short time frame there yeah so again again the work is the work is consistent um but when you have three brand new people start within six months of each other and you're the only other person here it's very difficult to make sure that everybody's getting the same consistent training because everybody works different shifts. So that's where it became a little frustrating. And for a while, everybody was just during the week. We didn't work weekends um, just to make sure that before we, we switched to seven day coverage that we were, the whole team was prepared for that transition. So we are learning together, you know, this is their first jobs in industry and the first time that I'm a supervisor. So keeping that open line of communication. Hey, I need reinforcement if I do well, cool. If I'm a little abrasive, let me know. And so just keeping that line of communication open has been a lot of help. Mm-hmm. Well, building on that, I, I'm curious about, what have you found have been kind of the most important tools or like leadership skills that you found has really worked the best for you? Communication, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Becoming a supervisor while companies are merging is also difficult because your all of your platforms are also changing as well. And so you're you're learning new things, how to drug test an employee. Okay, well, that company A did this and company B did this. And it's like, I don't even know how to be a supervisor, let alone drug <laughs> test people. And so I was just very honest and open with them. Hey, this is my first time. If there is anything you want to see, you want to do, any feedback you have for me, you know, I, I, if it's negative, I won't take it personally because I also want to grow as a supervisor. And so I let them know pretty much an open door policy um, and that they're, if it's something I don't like or that I maybe don't want to hear, but need to hear that there aren't going to be any repercussions for that because Again, you know, the four of us are really learning as a team as we progress through the year. So can you walk me through, so what are your current kind of main responsibilities or like what does kind of an average week look like? I got to tell you, that's probably my least favorite question. (laughs) (laughs) Only because I I could walk you through what my my calendar says I'm going to do that day. 
Um, but to be completely honest with you, it never goes according to plan, which, (laughs) and if, and if you're okay with that, this is a great industry for you. I highly recommend it. Um, and (laughs) nothing ever goes according to plan. You have to be, you kind of have to go with the flow a little bit because things change a lot. Yeah. If you like structure, this is not the job for you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so it's great because, you know, there's, there's the constant, uh, the constant work. So we need to make sure that every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that all of our monitoring platforms are running. Our sole responsibility out here is to keep our employees safe. So to do that and to make sure the the pits that we mine stay standing, we have some of the newest technology in the world and it's fascinating. And we've all been trained and it's it's cool to be at the forefront of that technology, but with that comes a lot of responsibility. And you do have to make sure that everything is constantly running. Uh, I always joke around that you would think being the world's largest gold mining producer that we would have better internet and better power (laughs) than we have out here and we don't. And so um, I probably should have got a degree in like network communication because with as much as we've learned about network and internet, wireless, all of that, since we've all been out here, we could could open our own company. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's yeah, it's intense. And like I said, the technology is great, but there's a, there's a learning gap between what you learn in school and what you actually do in the field in that regard. Mm -hmm. But that's really our purpose every day is just making sure that our employees are safe. Um, couple months ago, we had to evacuate a pit. We had an instability, but again, with, with the leading technology that we have out there, we evacuated two days before it happened. No equipment was damaged. No people were injured. Nobody was even in the area 48 hours, um, Mm -hmm. before it happened. So really great scenario, textbook scenario. Somebody will probably write a paper on it someday, (laughs) but other than that, you know, you have core logging, uh, bench mapping, which again is great to get out in the field and, and get your eyes and hands on the on the rock that we're actually seeing in the pit. And then, you know, the basic meetings, everybody's got meetings, which I wish I had a lot less because I miss being in the field, but a lot of the other field work that we do kind of makes up for that. Okay. So are you, so how much are you spending, how much time are you spending in the office versus actually going out in the field? Um, If I attended every meeting I was supposed to go to, I would be in the office every 40 hours of my work week. But um, I guess that's one thing I struggle with as I've as I've progressed higher up is I'm not a desk person. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I when they go out to check the drill rig, I'll I'll tag along with them. And that way we can have that communication with the supervisor, with the driller, with the core logger that's out there. we have an 8.30 meeting where we go and meet with all the operations guys. Hey, do you need any dirt work over here? What do you need us to look at? So I tag along for that too, even though that that's more of, of the responsibility for the rest of the team. Because I assume that you're, as you move up and up, you become more on the kind of manager, quote unquote, side and less of like the technical side. I, I guess to break up the difference is they're, they're more of the day-to-day operation. So they're making sure the pit's running, the walls are stable, um, getting out there, dealing with operations, contractors, vendors, that sort of thing, where, where I'm in the office and I'm reviewing the next pit design. Are there any issues with it? Do I need to get with the planners? Do we need to change it? So I'm, I'm more of like the mid to long range planning side of okay. the geotech world and making sure that, that by the time those plans are executed, 
they have everything in place to do their job. Right, 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 right. Okay. That I, that makes sense. Yeah. That you're doing kind of the long-term stuff and they're doing more of the day-to-day checking to make sure. Cause obviously you can't be everywhere at once. You got to have uh, other people going out there mapping and whatever else. I mean, would yep. you, if you had, if you had the option to go out and start mapping pit walls, would you take it? Would you do it? I would. I, <laughs> I prefer core logging actually. Really? I, well, because we core log at the drill rig. Okay. So that's kinda, we're that's not more just, exciting. yeah, we're not just stuck in some core shed, you know, <laughs> with like thousands of feet of core on the table. We're actually out there. They're pulling splits. We're logging, boxing, all that kind of stuff. So it makes the day go by so much faster. And if the weather's great, I mean, it just makes for a really good day, especially when you can get out there and you can not have cell phone service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could be completely removed from all communications and everything. And I've heard that you guys have some pretty extreme weather over there as well. And apparently something about wind and like standing out in the wind is like the worst or something <laughs> along those lines. <laughs> we can have all four seasons in one day. And that's, I think that's a Northern Nevada thing. That is crazy. But the wind out here is horrible to the point where it will take down monitoring systems. Wow. Oh my yeah, gosh. So the site, the site itself gets weather alerts, you know, Hey, lightning, uh, snow, rain, wind, that sort of thing. And it's one of those, when you get the wind alert, you're like, all right, what's going down now? Like, <laughs> should we take bets on what radar we're going to lose today? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so, and are you, um, I know Mary and Felicia, they mentioned that they are on call at all times. Are you also on call at all times? Yes and no. So they're on call for the site. Uh, okay. As a supervisor, I'm on call for them. So okay. if they have any, you know, they have to evacuate a pit. That's great. They should probably run it through me first just to verify we're looking at the same thing, that it's the right decision. Mm-hmm. Um, Mary is currently on vacation and I have been filling in for her on call. And I got to tell you, I don't miss it. Um, <laughs> I, the, the, this what past weekend wasn't so bad, but the one before that, they actually tried to replace some power component somewhere that wasn't even related to any of our stuff. And it took all of our monitoring equipment um, down for, for an entire day. And I was like, this wasn't supposed to affect us. What happened here? And so, oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I got to tell you, I, I miss Mary. <laughs> I do not Mary, miss if you're, Mary, if you're listening, come back. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> come back to work. <laughs> it's a oh lot easier to just be like Felicia, like, hey, this is this okay? Like, are you on board with this? Cool. Yes. Done. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm curious, what has been the most kind of crazy call that you've gotten, like while you were on call or something? Nothing at the top of my head, but the longstanding joke is, you know, with, with power and network, if we have, for instance, a radar go down, the first thing is, do we have power? Do we have network? And the joke is like you log in and okay, you've lost your internet. Joke is restart your computer. Okay, you restart it, still don't have internet, restart twice. Um, For whatever reason, two is like the magic number out here. So you should at least restart your computer, your monitoring computer twice before you call the network team because they're going to ask you, did you restart it? And Mm -hmm. it's like, you just, you have to get into that routine. Like, all right, first thing, and it's always twice because sometimes once doesn't work. Yeah, I don't know what it is. And if it's down, it's down. Twice doesn't fix it. Yeah, but there are times that you restart it and you call the network guy and he's like, oh, did you restart it? And I'm like, no, but I'll do it again. And then it comes up and you're like, 
I promise you I tried once before I mm-hmm. called. <laughs> yeah. So you got to try at least twice and then you're like, okay, now it's time to call in a specialist because this isn't working. Yes. Yep. Now oh. there's a real problem here. <laughs> oh my gosh. So you guys are becoming these like network communications whizzes just because you've had to fix all of these problems. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I got to say, so when I was chatting with Mary and Felicia, um, I asked them, um, like what it was like working as a woman in a woman in mining and how their experience has been and how long it took for the guys to learn their names or learn that they were sticking around or something. And I think one of the first things that they said was, well, we, they knew us by our hair color, but everybody knows Michaela. <laughs> <laughs> so how long it's- did it take you to get to like a first name basis? And how long did it take for the guys to figure out that you were sticking around and learn your name and all that? <laughs> It, it did take a little bit. Um, when I started, there was another another woman in our group. Her name's Celine. Both same color hair, but the, the distinguishing difference between the two of us was that she was from France. And so okay. she had the accent. And, um, you know, we're, we were both very, very strong, independent, powerful women. So she got titled the French Fury. So, again, it was very easy to distinguish between the two over the radio because you know geotech this uh to loader whatever can i come around you and it's like okay female english that's michaela female french it's celine and so um when i started out here we had uh quite a few number of things going on to where the geotech group was working very closely with operations and when I came in, that that position had needed to be backfilled for a while. And so I was in no shortage of words thrown to the wolves. I mean, I had to hit the ground running, very little training, ever, all the training was on the fly. And so um, we became, our group became very close to our operations team. And so they, they had no option but to learn, you know, who I was and who the rest of the team was just based off what we had going on at the time. Okay. 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 So, and in the end, it actually kind of worked out in your favor. First you have, now you've built this relationship with, you know, the engineering, the geotechnical team with the operations team. Do you find that it really made a difference after you went through that whole kind of experience? I do. It was, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with, with high wall issues, any complications you have within the pit, it's great to be like, Hey, I know C crews on today. This is our supervisor. Uh, let me go talk to him. Let me give him a call. Um, because a lot of the supervisors that we have right now were just coming up as supervisors when I started. So we've all learned together through the experiences that we've had out here. An interesting fact is that, you know, geotech and all of tech services, which is uh, survey, uh, the planning department, drill blasts, leach pads, dumps, all of that. I'm the longest person within the department. Wow. you know, as far as tech services is concerned, um, there's me. Like I, I have all the historical knowledge for all the pits around here. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've gained that trust with our supervisors. I also have that trust with a lot of our operators too, because we have people that have been out here 20, 30 years. Yeah. And they've seen my face for almost nine years. Right. So I get up there and I start talking. They're like, oh, great. She's still here. We trust her. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> if she says this area isn't safe, it's not safe. If she says it is cool, go back yeah. to work. So after everything we've been through with, with any high wall issue that came up, um, we, we make sure to get out in front of them, tell them what happened, how we fixed it, what we saw so that as things like that come up, the rest of the group is getting in front of them. 
so that should something go wrong one day, they've, they've established those relationships with our operators that I did eight, nine years ago. Mm-hmm. And so they're, our operators trust them to make the calls that they make. Right. And do you find that the operators, you know, they know you, how do you find their response has been for kind of the younger, the younger uh, team members coming in? I think the respect is there, which is amazing because in all of our pits have their own personalities, their own quirks, um, geotech related, you know? And um, so I think the respect is there because they, they know what we do and why we do it. Uh, I think the, the, the learning thing is, is the communication aspect of it, because again, it's easier when you know somebody, if you're talking to someone you've talked to for five years, there's that level of understanding where I'm throwing them into a situation where I'm saying, Hey, you got to tell them you can't do this. And so they're like, you can't do it. And someone's like, Oh, why? Oh no. Michaela just said you can't do it. So that's what I'm saying. And so (laughs) giving them the knowledge to be like, Hey, this is why you can't do it is, is what we're still working towards. Because again, with eight years out here, we tried this, we failed. Okay. We can't do it anymore, but I don't have a little booklet that they can reference every time a question comes up, which would be ideal, but it doesn't exist. So the coaching side of it and the the explanation on why we can or can't do things is, is what I need to work on. Um, But they're getting a lot better with how they communicate with our operators. And, And again, with everything going on with all the different pits, they're gaining their own knowledge on why we can and can't do things. So they have those examples when they're like, hey, you can't do this because this happened six weeks ago. Yeah, and it sounds like as well that you guys are working very hard to educate um, a lot of these people who are working at these sites. I know that Mary and Felicia mentioned that they were doing um, like lessons or something along those lines where they were teaching a team or a group about your like the geotechnical role um, and how to recognize hazards and stuff. Now, do you find that that has been a really beneficial um, initiative that you guys have taken on? It's been very beneficial. So we also you know, we have our, our annual refresher training that's required by MSHA and we get, so we get an hour to, to teach ground control to every, every person on this property, which is great, but it is a 10 hour day for them. So depending on what time you catch them throughout the day, they could completely just zone out during your class. But as far as the open pit operations team and, and even process, we have some classes that are what we consider advanced. So people that are going to be working near high walls, near voids, near cracking, they have to go through this additional training just based off what their job is. And we try to do, we try to do some cross training as much as possible, but it has been beneficial just because we're one of those groups that sees, you know, we're, we're drilling before the pickets mind, the pickets mind, we have to make sure it stands. And then we walk away and we have to make sure the pit is still there uh, until closure. So we really see pits from the beginning through to the end. And mm-hmm. a lot of people don't understand that. They just make sure it's like, oh, a hole in the ground. Let's just make sure it stays standing. So we're really trying to get out there and educate people that that we're there through the whole process. Yeah, well, I think it, it builds that relationship and it builds that trust and it helps them also recognize what those hazards are or what they should be looking for so that they can report to you. Because obviously, you know, your team cannot be everywhere at once. So you are trusting that those people working there recognize that they are in a safe work environment or not and whether they need to report that or not and also understanding why you're doing something I think helps with when you guys make a decision I think there's less probably less pushback if they actually understand why you're doing something and that's the big thing too because our operators are are not dumb 
I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of people have been doing this 20, 30 years. They, and they have questions. And if you come in and you're like, hey, we're going to make a change. This is what we're going to do. This is why. They're like, oh, okay, I, I get it. I get it now, you know, because we used to do it this way, but I think this will be a lot better. And so if you give them that why explanation, it's a much smoother process. What is, do you find, the most challenging part of your current role? I guess this is this is probably, I, I don't know if you want technical or, or personality-based. Eh, this one's probably nope, do, Whatever. We'll go with whatever. <laughs> so this one's probably more personality-based. Uh, I don't know how much Marianne Felicia told you, but I'm very outspoken. So I think one of my, my biggest challenges and one of my biggest things that I have to work on is stopping before I talk and thinking about what I'm going to say. I'm very passionate. I, I love what I do. I wake up every morning just so excited to come to work. I love it out here. I think the people are great. I think what we're doing is great. I think the technology is great. But with that passion, when something goes wrong, <laughs> you're like, why can't you get this right? It doesn't ever come out that nicely when I say it. So <laughs> that's, uh, but also that's what I'm known for. So it's, it's a give and take, right? Um, mm hmm Usually when I start talking, people are like, oh, what did we do wrong? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm pretty sure they told me a story of um, they were giving a lesson or a class or something. And I guess the guys were giving them a hard time about wearing masks. They didn't want to wear the masks. And I think I'm pretty sure they told me that you came in or you showed up and you <laughs> made these grown men put on their masks. <laughs> the, okay, so the best part about that was it wasn't even in person. Um, I was getting messages that, Hey, we're in this meeting and so-and-so is not wearing a mask. And it, at this point it was company policy. You would be written up for not wearing a mask. And the meeting had a WebEx invite to it. So I'm 30 minutes away at another pit. So I log in on my phone via WebEx <laughs> and the conference room has a camera so I can see the entire meeting. So I took a screenshot on my phone of these, these people not wearing masks. And I just, in the middle, I was like, excuse me, I just want to let everybody know that it is in fact company policy for you to be wearing a mask. Uh, if not, you, you could be disciplined and or terminated. And you slowly just see people start to pull their masks <laughs> over their face. <laughs> so you just like popped in randomly. Like, did your voice just all of a sudden just pop out of thin air? Like, guys, I'm watching you. I can see all of you right now. <laughs> That's actually exactly how it happened. I wasn't, I had oh no intention of, of calling into this meeting, but you know, everybody has their own opinion about the mask. It's, it's whatever at this point, you're entitled to your own opinion, but it is company policy. So it's frustrating for me when you have people just blindly sitting there two feet from someone mm -hmm. and it's like, can you just put your mask on? Like go to your office after, take it off, do whatever, but please just for the meeting, wear your mask. And so it's exactly how it happened. I just popped on, my little voice came out, and then I logged right back off. <laughs> oh my gosh. I would have loved, loved, I would give, I would pay so much money to have been in that meeting just to see the look on everyone's face. There was like three grown men just whoop, like put their mask right back on. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. Oh my goodness. And I'm curious. So if you end up in a situation, where you are disagreeing with someone you're trying, let's say you have a goal in mind about how to do something, how to accomplish something. And you are disagreeing with the person that you were working with. 
to try to get this thing done? How, how do you kind of work in that situation? One of, I guess one of the biggest things I've learned is, you know, I have that passion and, you know, sometimes with the passion comes aggression. And a lot of the times if I'm not, if things aren't going the way that I wanted to, I, I need a five minute break. I need, to, I need to step out, compose myself, get my thoughts together, because I imagine like most people, you, when you start to get agitated or frustrated, you kind of lose your train of thought. Yeah. So, you know, that, that five minute break, get my thoughts together. Um, if I have supporting documentation that proves I'm right, I'm going to go grab it <laughs> and, and take that, those couple minutes, calm down a little bit. But honestly, it's just, it's, it's really that historical knowledge that we always fall back on. And, and I'm open to new suggestions. Our, our team is constantly learning things there. There's always new and better ways to do things. Um, but it's really the, the, if we have the, the information, the monitoring, um, anything that's happened in the past to say, hey, this is why we don't do this. If you can provide additional training, you can get better equipment, you know, you can do this, this, and this, then, hey, we're willing to try this change in this area of the pit. Um, but it's really just making sure that we're doing the right things for the right reasons and conveying that to our operators. Because at the end of the day, our team is responsible, which means at the end of the day, I'm responsible for the decisions that we make. And so I don't want to put anybody in a situation where they feel uncomfortable because if an operator reports a void and you say, hey, yeah, go ahead, backfill that in. And he's like, nah, I don't really want to do it. That's within his right to say, hey, I don't feel comfortable. And that's when you're like, OK, cool, let's find another way to do it. Um, but just making sure that you're having that communication and that you're reinforcing this is why we're doing it. I know maybe it doesn't look right, doesn't sound right, but here's why we're going to do it this way. Okay. After yeah. I calm down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's great though. It's great to be passionate about what you do. I think that's a, such a positive thing. We all have nicknames in the group. And the one that I got based off exactly what we're talking about right now is Black Widow. Black Widow. So, okay. uh, now, do you take that as a compliment or are you hating on it? You know, I could have gone either way. I think it's a compliment because honestly, you know, I, one of my big things that I've said in meetings before is you, you may think I'm, I'm a bitch because we're having this conversation right now and you'll probably live to think that again another day. But the important part of this is that you lived and you lived because I made this decision. So if you hate me, I don't really care. Yeah, and that's, that and is so that's like, <laughs> I don't care that you don't like me because I yep. know you're safe. And I know you went home to your family tonight. And that's for me, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. And I completely agree. We can uh, get past the personality stuff as long as everybody stays safe. I completely understand that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any recommendations for women, young women thinking of getting into mining, getting into kind of the geotechnical role, anything you wish you knew when you first started out, anything like that that you might have to recommend? So I've, I've actually gotten the opportunity to speak to a lot of, of women and then also also students too. So around the 12, 13 year age. Mm -hmm. um, and one of my biggest things is, is really make sure you do something that you love because I can only imagine going to work every day and absolutely dreading the fact that you have to get up every there's every, nobody likes getting up in the morning, you know, especially the, the, the hours that we work out here, yes. but it makes it a little bit easier if you like what you do. And so that's one of the big things for me, but honestly, um, staying true to yourself, you know, I think 
women in an industry that's male dominated, it is hard or it's easy for you to just be like, oh, this operator has been here 30 years. I don't want to get in a fight with him. I don't want him not to like me. I don't want him to judge me because I'm a woman. We'll just do what he says, even though you know what you're doing is right. Um, so really just just staying true to yourself and, and holding yourself accountable to what you know is right is is a really big one. And I agree, staying true to yourself and not being afraid to stand up for yourself, I think is another really big one. Obviously don't go around like picking fights with people, but still kind of maintaining, holding your ground. If you know that something is not being done right or you have a better way of doing something, I think it's important that you speak up and not be afraid to do that. Yeah, and I think it's important to not to always fall to the, oh, he, does, he doesn't like me because I'm a female. Um, I because there are a lot of grumpy operators out here who don't like you just because they don't like you, yeah. you know, and they don't <laughs> want to be here anymore. They want to retire. They don't like anybody. And so, you know, don't just warm up to them, you know, give them a smile. Maybe five years from now, they'll, they'll like you. I don't know, yeah. but, um, I hate to see people too be like, oh, he doesn't like me because I'm a girl. And it's like, nah, I just don't yeah. think he likes anybody. <laughs> So just finishing up here, do you have any funny stories or just memorable moments that you'd like to share with everyone? I do. One of the the times I feel like I really got put in my place, which it is a funny story. Okay. Um, so you have these huge shovels, right? P&H yep. 4100, these big shovels. And, and I had been in one before, but it had been uh, as an intern and I'd probably been here two or three years and we were we were talking about design compliance in a meeting. You know, I'm telling you, this is your design and you as an operations supervisor is, are trying to explain to me why the shovel operator didn't achieve it. Okay. And it got a little heated, you know, you don't wanna play the blame game, but that's what it was. Yep. And this was via phone call because we had pits that were 30 minutes away from each other. So the meeting is on one side, the other group calls in. And our supervisor told me that if I thought I knew what to do, I should get my ass in the shovel. I was like, whew, that's very brave of you. (laughs) But I'm I'm not the subject matter expert on how to mine it. I'm just telling you, here's the design. If the shovel can't do it, I need to know so I can change the design. But I'm not getting any feedback. So I'm just assuming that the design is okay and that it can be mined, but I'm looking at this and he's clearly not mining it. So yeah. So what's, there's it, something, there's something going on in the middle there. Yeah. Is it design? Is it training? Is it, he's brand new on that shovel? I don't know, but he just gets on the phone and just uh, told me in the middle of the meeting in front of all the other ops guys that if I thought I could do better, I should get my ass in the shovel. And I was like, well, I'll take you up on that offer, but <laughs> not gonna be pretty (laughs) oh my gosh wait did you end up getting in the shovel eventually I did I did not operate the shovel um that's again not my area of expertise but it was great because that operator and I uh he's my favorite shovel operator so when his crew's on um sometimes he'll come up and give me a hug and it's like because we spent like three or four hours walking through like why it's important to achieve design here's where they're struggling here's how we can help uh, any additional resources they need. So we both have that level of understanding now that I don't think either one of us had before. Mm-hmm. And uh, something positive that came from it now is once a year we do shovel operator training. 
And so as they get new operators, we're just providing training on why design compliance is important. And then that way they can ask us questions and we can have that interaction with them. Interesting. So at the end of all that, after you went through, you went to the shovel, you sat in it, you did whatever, you worked with the operator, was eventually the situation resolved? You figured out what the issue was? Yeah. And honestly, it it just comes down to resources. I I think the shovel operator was doing everything he could with a giant P&H 4100 shovel. You can't do toe cleanup on a bench with like a 400... like gallon yeah. tub, like big bucket thing, you know? And so it's a dozer work, but it's just the dozers weren't getting in there and they weren't cleaning it up. And, you know, there's, there's different ways to mine different areas. So um, resources and training were, were two <laughs> yes. of the biggest ones. Were the biggest things. And when in doubt, hop in the piece of equipment yourself and see what's going on. Get your ass I mean, in there. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I thought this story was going to like, you hopped in the scoop and you started operating it. You were like, like in there. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, man, she's got all this training that we didn't even talk about apparently. <laughs> I mean, I would do it. Now I, w- now I feel like I would at least try it. I've driven a haul truck. So I have that under my belt. I'm not signed off, but I've done it. And I can appreciate keeping my distance from them because now I know how much they truly can't see out there. So yeah, well, what was that? What was driving? I can't imagine like driving a haul truck, like up the ramp in an open pit. Can you just like briefly tell like, what was that like? Other than obviously visibility, but did you feel like you were like miles in the air? Yes. Cause you're, I mean, you're probably two, two to three stories high in, in one of these big haul trucks. And they let me drive out of the pit and then to an abandoned waste dump so that I could actually try to back the truck up to the berm and pretend to dump material out. Well, there was material in it, but the worst part about it, and my driver was awesome because again, we, we probably spent three or four hours together by the time you get out of the pit, swap drivers, go down and everything. And, Mm -hmm. um, one of the hardest things is you constantly want to look in your rear view mirror or behind you, but there's a bed. I mean, there's a bed full of material. Like there is no rear view mirror. No, rear view, no, no little camera on the back. That no. you can use and he race. kept, yeah, I kept trying to like turn around or like look up and he's like, there's no mirror. And I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> You know, you have have to use your side ones and it's just very frustrating. Oh, so frustrating. I mean, I trying to learn, we drive trucks underground and I'm a turner. I turn when we're backing up, Mm -hmm. I turn around and look over my shoulder because I don't like using the mirrors. Don't like them at all. Some people I work with love the mirrors, love, love the mirrors and they love (laughs) using them. I'm like, okay, that's great. But then I end up in these trucks and there's an extra seat in the back that blocks your whole view of the back. And so now I'm forced, even though I know I cannot see out, I will still turn around and like lift myself up just to try to see over these seats because I will not use the mirrors. That's what it is in a haul truck. You only have mirrors and I'm a turner too. So I, every time I start to turn, he's like, there's, you can't see it. I'm like, I get it. I still like, have I'm to trying. do it though. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I have to see for myself. I know we've already done this like three times, but I still just need to double check. That I'm just really scared. hoping the bed has fallen off by now and that I can see behind me. <laughs> I think we're going to wrap up here. And so I want to thank you again for taking time out of your busy day to be on the podcast. I appreciate it so, so much. This was so much fun. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Thank you for having me and not, not canceling on me this time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I could have, I could have gone both ways. I mean, us busy working women, you never know what's going to happen. Right. We got, we got things to do. Exactly. Places to go, people to see. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm glad that we finally made this work and uh, I'm so, so happy we did. So definitely guys go and check out the women working ahead social medias. I will be posting uh, this episode when it goes live. I will also be including all of Michaela's social links in the episode notes and over on the social medias when I announce the episode. So if you guys have any follow-up questions or anything at all, feel free to reach out to her. And as always, guys, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and review that helps me out so, so much. And please share with your family and friends if you think that they might enjoy this. And I think that's everything for now. Hope everyone's having a great day and we will chat soon.